Welcome book club members to this episode of Fat Girl Book Club. For this episode, we read the book Gendered Bodies and Public Scrutiny by Victoria Cannon. I think you're really going to like this book because I think that I'm, I'm going to do two episodes on this book. This first episode is with the author, is with Victoria. And then I'm going to do an episode, the next one that will be available for download, with a fat activist where we talk about this book. So it's set up similarly to uh, the book Fierce Fatty by Vinnie Wellsby, which I did two episodes on, kind of same idea, one episode with the author, one episode where I talked about the book with a friend. This book, I think, is a, it's an academic read that doesn't quite read like an academic read. I don't feel like you have to be, uh, (laughs) you don't have to, uh, grab a dictionary in order to read this book. That is definitely not the vibe from this book. What it does give you, and Victoria will talk a little bit about this as we get into the discussion, is that there is a, a structure set out within this book where Victoria did interviews with some women and discussed some things around body stories. So what what you've kind of internalized and what you would tell other people about your body. And from those discussions, she was able to create a framework of theory around how those stories can begin to be constructed. And the other added element to this book, which I think is really intriguing, is that she invited an artist to kind of come with her on this journey of these interviews and the artist was given, uh, the, uh, transcripts of the discussions. So no actual video or even any audio. And the artist created pictures of what these humans look like. So it was a really interesting kind of way to frame it, but also makes it very accessible for anybody to read. So I think that this is a really, really, really great read. And I think that uh, you should really think about picking it up. But I do want to say that you can listen to both of these episodes uh, and get deeper into the book without actually having to read the book. I'm going to suggest you go out and get the book, especially after you've listened to these episodes. But uh, it's not mandatory in order to listen to our discussions because Victoria gives us a really good framework to be able to vocalize some of the main concepts that are in the book, things like staring, things like the well-meaning stranger, uh, things like resistance and activism, which I think are, are vital ideas that are in this book. And, and we discuss that in this conversation. Uh, before I give you the bio and give you the little blurb from the back of the book, I just want to say that, uh, as some of you know, with the last episode, if you've listened to that one, I am going to be going on a very long hiatus uh, for this podcast. So we're going to get to 80 episodes. That's where we're going to cut this off. And then I'm going to take a big, long break. (laughs) So uh, I am still looking for one more guest. So if you have any desire to chat with me about a book, please get in touch. My email address will be down below in the show notes. Just connect with me that way. Uh, or on Instagram, there'll be that below too. You can always connect with me on Instagram uh, and and we can get together and talk about a book. I would love to do that. 
Now, some of you know that one of the things that I am going to be continuing to do uh, over the next little while and continuing to grow over the next little while is my podcasting business. I am really interested in helping people to start up their own podcasts. And uh, I would just love to help you. If you've got a podcasting project that's been kind of sitting in the back of your mind and you just, you're not quite sure what to do, this is very common. You Google, how do I start a podcast? And most of the information that comes back is grab this microphone, look at this uh, digital audio workstation, uh, find this in terms of tech and off you go. And that, that, that's not really the reality. There, there's so much more when it comes to podcasting, including storytelling and the ability to get your voice out and the understanding of the fact that, yeah, there's a lot of podcasts out there right now. So how within your own space are you going to stand out? And, and not because you are looking to make this a capitalist endeavor, uh, that is, I wouldn't say that I would. I was ever really um, thinking that I was going to make a butt ton of money with my podcast. I never, I never really anticipated that. In fact, <laughs> my, I was just grateful when I realized that it was more than just my family listening to what I had to say on here. So for me, that was that was a big win. But you still like to see the numbers increase. You still like to hear from from people who are listening to what you have to say. And there's ways to do that that don't involve, uh, that probably never will involve making a lot of money, but there are some really big benefits to doing this type of a project, including, like I said, being able to see those numbers go up, knowing that you're reaching more people with a message that's really important, uh, being able to have your voice heard somewhere. I, I don't know about you, but I, uh, I started this podcast because I was being bullied in my workplace and I felt like, I felt like I had no voice. I felt like people would listen to me and just gaslight everything I had to say. And when you're, when you don't have the awareness that it's gaslighting, when you're actually just thinking, yeah, you're right. My opinion is worthless. You begin to feel like your voice doesn't matter. And starting this podcast allowed me to find a voice. It allowed me to begin to heal from that experience And so I see so much of value in being able to podcast that is beyond money, beyond any kind of capitalist endeavor. And so if you are thinking about starting a podcast, I would love to help you with your project. Please reach out to me. Uh, Again, there'll be a bunch of links in the show notes below, but my website is fearlesspodcasting.co. So not .com, but .co. Uh, I'd love to hear from you over there. Okay, so let's get into the book because I think you're really going to enjoy this book. I think you're really going to enjoy this author. And I I think it's, it's gonna be giving you some food for thought, some stuff to ponder at least until we get into the next episode, which also talks about this book. So let me start with the back of the book and what this book is about. What does it mean to exist in a body that is constantly on display and subject to public scrutiny? a body that inspires stares, questions, and comments. In a unique approach to the field of body studies, Gendered Bodies and Public Scrutiny explores these questions through artistic expression and personal narratives of self-identified odd and odd women. With entwining perspectives on embodiment, identity, resistance, and power, this book examines the interplay of the myriad of ways our bodies express identity, 
through gender, race, size, sexuality, disability, body modifications, and age, and explores how public scrutiny of these expressions can have lasting impact on our public and private selves. Featuring critical questions for discussion and reflection, a glossary of key terms, and an appendix of activities to encourage the reader to critically engage in their own personal body study, Gendered Bodies and Public Scrutiny is essential reading for students and scholars of women's and gendered studies, sociology, and anyone interested in the power of storytelling. Now let me tell you a little bit about my guest. Victoria Cannon writes and teaches on the subject of identity, embodiment, education, and popular culture. She's the co-editor of The Spaces and Places of Canadian Popular Culture. Her work has also been published in such journals as the Journal of Gender Studies, Culture, Theory and Critique, and Teaching in Higher Education. Victoria holds a PhD from the Ontario Institute for Studies in Education at the University of Toronto. Please enjoy my discussion of gendered bodies and public scrutiny with the author, Victoria Cannon. Hi, Victoria. Welcome to Fat Girl Book Club. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here. I am really excited you're here too. This was such a great read. And I mean, I normally don't have authors on the show, but this book, I think, will provide us with a lot of discussion around some of the topics that I get quite a bit on on the podcast. So I'm excited to kind of dive in. Did you want to start with a little bit about who you are and maybe a little bit of your own body journey? Sure, I'd love to. I, hmm, let's think, what should I start? So I'm a professor. There's so many things I could talk about. I am a professor. I teach about, I'm an interdisciplinary professor. So I teach about media studies and sociology and gender studies primarily. Um, And so, but basically in every class that I teach, I always talk about gender and race privilege and identity and I always regardless of the topic I always get those in there because those are the ones that I think are most important all the time regardless of really what we're talking about so who I am I in addition to that I guess I am white and tall I'm very tall so that's my my particular um area in as like a very privileged cisgender woman but I am have always been talked to about my body and what it looks like and by strangers who have asked questions and not so strangers who have asked questions right about why I look the way I do and how did I arrive to be this way um and so that's been something my whole life has kind of geared and, and affected my work so my work on identities and bodies has come from that space of always feeling on display and realizing that it was my height that was the interesting thing about me and the rest of it kind of wasn't right my whiteness is quite normal in Canada my my I'm pretty in the traditional way you know I can check off a whole bunch of boxes but the tall part is unusual and so being six foot three in no shoes um, and being quite thin actually most of my life you know I look taller um, than my sister for example who's six feet tall and like a larger build than me. And so she kind of, she looks less noticeable. We've realized over time that she gets many less comments than I do about her height, even though there's only like a three inch difference. And yeah, I do wear heels and stuff like that. And so that also pushes me, pushes me to around six foot five. Yeah. And so that's kind of, 
I don't know. Is that a good answer to you? Such an interesting thing that you and your sister, like there's that, there's not really that much of a difference, but the, um, like the, the size is making a difference. Like the, I'm guessing just by the gesture, like the width of the shoulders and like the, the presence is different. And that makes a difference to how many comments and questions that you both receive. That's for sure. Yeah. It's been, it's been noticeable. I mean, of course, when we're together, then we're like a wall of tall and people have a ton of questions about the two of us. Um, but yeah, when we're apart, she, she hardly ever gets many questions about height in the way that I do. Yeah. And so that's been quite interesting because you think that you know, is like, what do you think? the size? Like, why do you think the size, um, do you think it deters people from asking a question or do you think they're just not even thinking the question? Yeah. I think that she can present as a bit more normal. She looks a bit more normal than I do. And so that normality has allowed her to blend in a different way. Men are often taller than her, you know, or she's the tallest woman in the room, except of course if I'm there, but she can still buy clothes at generally like reg, quote unquote regular stores. I cannot. Um, my legs are too long. You know, there's just, there's just no ability for me to, to shop even in Canada for pants. And so um, that slight different, even though it is a slight difference, it's three inches, right? In, in one direction has really substantial. And because of, I think my thinness has made me more noticeable. Um, I also dress rather flamboyant. I would say like I try to look unique and in my own way um I don't hide I don't she tends to dress more muted in muted colors but so I'm like a beacon of something that tends to draw both positive questions and like as a teenager not so positive ones like I I've experienced lots of really damaging harmful questions about my height which you know has definitely influenced my work for sure. I, I was, I was just going to ask that, you know, kind of what impact uh, your relationship to your height had to you writing this book. So you wrote a book. Why don't you talk a little bit about your work, your book? Sure. So my book kind of came across, so it's called Gendered Bodies in Public Scrutiny. It has a very long title, Women's Stories of Staring Strangers and Fierce Resistance. And it came out of my desire to hear other people's stories about being both odd. So the framework came out of being odd and odd, a like ODD and AWED, right? So that we are, people are in awe of the difference that we present, Um, but we also feel a bit odd, right? That there's, we can't blend. And so, um, and I knew it wasn't, and I also know that my story isn't particularly that compelling, being tall, I was like, okay. And, but it's interesting to some people for sure. And then there's all these other kinds of variations that I was interested in to think about um, because it's also about where we are. So when I lived in Toronto, for example, I could blend much easier than when I am in my hometown of Sudbury, Ontario, which is, you know, pretty homogenous in terms of the kinds of people. I mean, it's becoming more diverse over time, but when I grew up here, it's a very white community. You know, it's a working class, middle-class community. There's, there hasn't been a ton of like, you know, 
diversity in terms of like people of color in this community. And so, you know, I, my unusualness was a point of conversation. Um, whereas in Toronto, not as much for sure. Right. And so I also like thinking about where people are and how that impacts how other people treat them and the kinds of questions that they get. So in the book, I interviewed seven people and I also include my own story to talk about all different kinds of things, to talk about hair and race and um, body size and sexuality and gender and all of these things um, and tattooing and you know the way that people are impacted by the things that strangers say to them and what that means. And so that was kind of where it came from. And I also wanted a book that people would know what it's like to be in one of my classes without having to take one of my classes. So to me, it's also a teaching book so that if there's concepts that you hear being thrown around a lot now, like cisgender or, or things like that, that pe some people really know and some people don't know, I wanted something accessible so that we could find a way in. I wanted my parents to read it. I wanted my 13 year old to read it, right? I want people to be able to engage in these ideas beyond a university classroom. And the structure of the book that that you that that's there is these body stories and also theory and also art. So why did you yes. find those three things? I think so. The art piece is really great. Um, I connected with an artist. I actually never knew him before, and his name is Damian Mellon. And he, I put out a call because. I like, I like things that are engaging in different ways. And I thought it would be very cool to see, because I'm talking about how bodies are interpreted in public, I wanted different interpretations of bodies, not just mine, I love like listening to people's stories and then I write them, like that's one interpretation. But I wanted him to listen to our transcript and read our transcript of what interviews I did. And then for him to create an image based on that, which I think is so cool. And the images are really cool. He made them kind of graphic novel focused and they're just awesome. Um, and everyone who's in the book has loved them the way they came out. Some of them are really close and he would ask. So he sent me questions to ask them in the interview and they were all random. Like, what is your, what cartoon character inspires you? So they were nothing about describing themselves necessarily. And um, it's just a really cool piece for also people to think about, like, how would you have imagined them based on their story? How would you, you know, do you envision them this way? Or, or is, how do you feel about the way Damien envisioned them, right? Because it's all about interpretation. And so that was that part. And then theory to kind of give, you know, connection, academic connections, but it's also just, you know, teaching connections about body things that I think not a lot of people necessarily engage with outside of classrooms and they should, right? We hear these words all the time. And so I wanted to make it both a teaching book and like a learning book, but also something really cool, which it is, I think. I think so yeah. that component was so special. It just added an extra layer it was the, and obviously the pictures are gorgeous. So yeah, it definitely, I tried not to jump ahead and look at the pictures before I read the story. I was <laughs> like, yeah. no, Jen, don't do that. Um, actually listen to the stories and then look at the pictures. <laughs> cool. Yeah. And it's funny too, because yeah, everybody, you know, it's like, oh, let's look at all the pictures, which makes sense. Um, but yeah, it is nice to read them first if yes. you can, if it, you can wait. Yeah, it is. Uh, before we turned on the microphones here, we were discussing COVID 
and how COVID kind of changes the way we're viewing ourselves. So the, the interviews that you did, the body stories that you collected were done before COVID. Is that right? Right before, like in February and January, like immediately before. Yes. Okay. Okay. And, and I know we were discussing about how it probably would change uh, what would have happened in these interviews if you had discussed during the time of COVID or even now when we're quote unquote, slowly allowing ourselves to go back to normal. <laughs> yeah. What kind of changes yeah. do you think you would have seen in the story that, that you had? I actually have a good answer to this. So when I did the official book launch, one of the participants, Ray, came and we chatted um, in like a round table with Damien. And, and so, and I, we kind of chatted that through. How do you think it would have been different? Or what is your experience of COVID been like for how people treat you in public? Because there seems to be like a normalizing thing. If we're all wearing masks, then maybe we all blend in different ways. And so Ray is a black woman living in a pretty white community. And, and so she said, you know, nothing. Like people are still touching her hair while she's wearing a mask. People are still asking me questions about my height in the grocery store, right? Um, there actually hasn't the covering of our faces or even the, 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 the separation between us it almost felt more like a bonding experience when people can talk to you about the thing that they're interested in. And it's not necessarily right. I don't want to make it sound like people are asking, okay, maybe in Ray's case, like touching people's hair is just wrong. We'll go with that. But in my case, asking me questions about, oh, do you play basketball or have you always been this tall? Um, which is, I think, always a hilarious question. Have I always been this tall? Is... <laughs> It's a, it's a, we should pause to think about that one for a second. It's really compelling. Um, that way. Yep. Yeah. Like I just arrived. I don't know. Or it just happened. Um, like really recently. Um, but you know, it also was something to like bond people, I think, to give us a link to connect and, and yeah. So, and in the book, we talk about this amazing concept that one of the like Nana introduced with this well-meaning stranger, right? And so I do think that people, not all the time, but a lot of the time are coming from a good place, a curious place. And while we should keep our curiosity in check um, in terms of what we ask strangers about their bodies, almost everyone at some point was like, either I want to educate people or I want to help them to be like, maybe don't do this again. Right. Don't. And so that was kind of an interesting reality. I think that came out, but, but back to the COVID part, I do think like in public things are generally holding steady. <laughs> they have not really changed. Our interactions online are substantially different and our, um, our, the way our bodies appear online or have of them most of the time right like that has changed our our interactions depending on if you work online or you are on zoom all the time or you teach online like I do and so that's a whole other book that maybe I'll write because I think I think that that's necessary I think that there's a necessary conversation and that part is a new dynamic that most of us weren't involved in before right, right. yeah it's such interesting such interesting changes in the way the world uh, moved over the course of COVID and where we're going to go from here, what things are going to uh, stick around. So that's interesting. Uh, you, I mean, the premise with this book is to talk about body stories. So can you talk a little bit about what that means and how those are kind of created for each of us? 
Sure. So, you know, while I talk to people who kind of have extraordinary body stories, literally everybody has one, right? The way our bodies change over the course of our lives and the things that you remember, because I could ask anyone and say, tell me something that someone has said to you about your body, or tell me something that the way your body has changed that kind of surprised you as you aged or um, that it went through when you were involved in different trends or the way you dressed yourself or how your hair looked, right? So our bodies have their own stories outside of many of our experiences. Like they're both tied to, and then they have their own kind of life that's apart from your, like your personality, right? Because when we present to people and they just kind of see us, it's a very visual, not really personal connection for the most part. And so, yeah, I liked thinking about body stories because we all do have one. And I think that there's an interesting, or at least the reception I've been getting from the book is so many people reflecting on their own experiences, hearing the stories of others, right? Who can, who have thought about it endlessly. <laughs> not everybody thinks about this all the time, but some of us are taught to through our interactions. Um, or some of us are also interested in thinking about them because it's the thing that interests us, right? But some people don't have to think about them as much, but that doesn't mean they don't have those stories. And so I think that the book is kind of a gateway to thinking about, to help you to think about, okay, what are some of those moments in life that have changed the trajectory of my body or have changed how I think about it or how I want to think about it or how I wish I could think about it. Um, and I think that that is probably, yeah, one of the things I hope people kind of connect with in those stories. I, I know I did uh, just, you know, just, just being able to think, I mean, I live in a fat body. So this is another one of those identities that does get, uh, depending on where I am, uh, I can be very hyper visible. You know, if I'm in a room uh, with a lot of, like if I go to the gym, I'm hyper visible because of the way my body looks, right? Uh, and so I don't have the luxury of, of not thinking about these issues, but I've been engrossed in this since I was quite young. Uh, so, <laughs> so like you said, I mean, I think some of us wish maybe that we didn't have to think about it as much as we do. Uh, for sure. And, yeah. you know, learning how to navigate in a body that is hyper visible is part of our body stories that we, that is a part of the process of figuring out who we are. And I think that that's, I think that's something I really connected with in your book. Yeah. Thank you for saying that. Yeah. I think that, and, and everybody in the book, in whatever way, in terms of size or presentation or gender, all those things, you know, feel both exhausted. Um, but I think it's also exhausted of sometimes that visibility, right? And yet also don't really know what life would be like without it because it shapes who we are. And while it can be overwhelming, it is essential to us. And so that's an interesting duality to kind of live in, to say, I wish this wasn't always happening, but this is also always who I am. And that's, and it's like, you can't disconnect those things, right? But yeah, for sure, they're amplified in certain spaces. And, and so sometimes you can choose if you wanna be in those spaces or not. And, and if you're ready to be in those spaces, right? To so be like, today I can go to the gym or like, today I cannot face that, right? So like some days it's just like, fuck it, right? Like, it's great. Like, here I am, I am here today. 
and this is good. And the rest of you can fuck right off. Like, so it's just that kind of, you know, so true. Thanks. Yeah. 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 So true. And, uh, I, I have so many other things I could say, but I think I'm going to move to some of the mechanisms that are kind of used, uh, by other people that end up kind of shaping our story. So you talk about staring as something that people do and how it affects us. So can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, there's lots of more theory, I think, in the book on staring than I expected. Um, but that's because so, so much of it and staring is this very quiet for them. It's a quiet engagement, right? It's a quiet relationship that happens in public but like you know it's happening particularly if you're the one being stared at you can feel that happening because it's happened so many times right the first time you're probably not noticing it but there's a pattern of staring there's a pattern of that relationship and then you also know when that staring is going to turn into a conversation and so every participant talked about the stare and what the stare means. And actually, so in Ontario, where I'm from, we just took off our masks a week ago. And I've been noticing, you know, the the difference between the masked people and the unmasked people is the stare. Everyone is staring at each other. There's just eyes darting around um, to be like, oh, you're not wearing one. Oh, you are wearing one. Oh, you're not wearing one. Just to assess I think the space and who's in the space with you and what kind of decisions people are making. It's the stare that I've noticed so much. Nobody has said anything yet as in my presence to anyone who's one way or the other, but there's a lot of staring going on. And so that's kind of the way that people often communicate without speaking um, that they, something has caught their eye, something is unusual and they're trying to assess the situation via staring because staring is not just a look right it's a lingering look it's intentional it's a decision and it's a decision that you are obviously creating a relationship that you you are not hiding and so that is something that I think is both impacts you when you feel that stare and also maybe when you don't or you're internalizing stares all the time because they happen so often, even maybe when they're not, you feel that they're happening. And that is something, you know, that we also live with because they happen so often that we're just expecting it's going to happen. And all of that does impact. uh, Well, my gym example, for instance, that does impact, you know, it it gives me second thought about whether or not I'm going to go or, well, I haven't gone in a long time because COVID and whatever, but you know, I, it does, now all of a sudden you're making those decisions based on what you think is going to happen or not happen. And uh, you're stealing yourself. You're putting your back up in order to walk into those spaces because you know what's going to happen. And there's, there's a whole bunch of decisions that get made about who you think you are based on how other people react to you. And I think that that's, that's really interesting Um, and not something I'd actually really given a lot of thought to until I was reading that part in your book. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And I think it's also really related to our clothing too, right? Like if, if you're a gym example, like what am I going to wear to feel comfortable, to feel safe in my own body, to, to feel like I want to express myself and to do the thing I'm actually there to do. So there's just so much thinking that goes in, right? You're thinking about what other people are thinking. Those people are thinking about you. You're thinking about what you want to wear. So it's, you know, there's a lot or how you're going to feel or where you're going to be how you might want to leave that space if you become uncomfortable. And yeah, that was a a big trend in all the different kinds of stories that were told, you know, how, what's the escape plan? What is, 
you know, what am I going to say? Or what are they about to say to me based on this staring exchange that we're having? Like, I can feel this happening, <laughs> you know, and what am I going to say? Or yeah. So I, you know, now as an adult who's, you know, 40, I, I am ready for, <laughs> I'm ready for anything because I, I have been asked a lot, a wide variety of questions I couldn't imagine before. So I'm always kind of ready, but some days I'm more ready than others. But, you know, it also depends on the kind of person that the way they express it, the kind of kindness that they approach with. Yeah. You're kind of always ready and maybe never ready. Right. There you right. Go. Yeah. And the, this staring brings us to that kind of next step, what you, you already touched on the well-meaning stranger where they actually come up and engage. Yeah. I mean, I think so that's why I put Nana's body story first. So Nana, you know, chooses to remove her hair, like pull out her hair. And so as a bald woman, she experiences so many questions, usually coming from a well-meaning place about health. Um, but, and so she was the one that really articulated that thinking about, you know, how many options and she referred to them as doors. Like we have this door we could walk through and say nothing. We have this door where we can respond in a kind of a curt way. We have an educational door, right. Or we have kind of a lying door. I like, think so much, you know, it's just, you know, I'll look into that. Um, depending on how we feel in that moment. Right. And so I thought that was such a useful framework to think about those, also those decisions when somebody comes up to you and is asking about your body in a way that they actually don't have a right to, right? Like nobody actually has a right to ask you anything about, but we just do that. And I'm often, I'm, if I'm in a very polite place, you know, I'll, I'll answer honestly, um, if I'm in a, if I'm alone at night, that's totally different. Like these are, you know, if I'm in a store and a woman comes up to me to ask me something just out of, and, or just offering a compliment. It's like, okay, great. I'll take it. I don't need it. I'll take it. Right. But, but there's times where those questions are intrusive or invasive or presuming something, particularly about people's health, about their gender, about the kinds of you know, medicalization that they've experienced or should experience. And those questions are just fundamentally wrong to ask. <laughs> and so it's, while it's no one's burden to educate someone else, right? Like as an educator, for me, it's different because this is the job that I choose to do. I don't choose to do it at the grocery store, but it's just <laughs> part of my it's part of who I am. And so I don't mind doing it, but you know, everyone else in the book was like, yeah, you know, in moments I want to be like, maybe don't ask this question because actually it's none of your business or don't ask this question because it could be really damaging to the person that you're asking, but it's also, yeah, not, not anybody's responsibility to do that. Right. And so those are those, those well-meaning stranger moments but Viola was talking about how, you know, someone didn't know that she spoke French and said something yeah. horrific, um, horrifically racist in her presence. And, you know, and out of a moment of safety, she's not going to say anything at all. Like she just pretended and she was, it was a power dynamic as well. She was at work. And so there was so much happening. There was a gender dynamic. There was a power dynamic. There was an age dynamic. And in those moments, and of course that stranger was not well-meaning, but still a comment that she was about her. And, 
you know, and there's that decision again about what do you do to keep yourself safe from a stranger? Because like, not to to, like push forward the stranger danger, but like people are inserting themselves into your lives in that moment. They are, you know, comment, not only commenting on you on something that you could take with you for a really long time. I, every single person I've talked to you and most people you talk to, particularly people who are feminine or present as feminine, if you ask them, like, has anybody said anything to you in your life that sticks with you? They're going to say yes. And they're going to remember it. And they're going to remember where they were. And so there's those well-meaning strangers that can also turn into those, right? Like it's, it's not a big leap between being, even if it's coming from a good place, the effect of it is more than you can imagine. And so I think that it's that dynamic, right? Where you really need before you speak because even if it is well-meaning it doesn't mean that it's going to be received that way and it doesn't mean it won't impact their sense of self and I think that that's something you know that I I always knew but I don't know that most people do like I don't know that even if because Canadians are so polite and blah, blah blah I don't know that most people recognize that those questions can have a lifelong impact that they could stay with people Right. And then I wonder myself, have I done that? Right. Have I ever done that to someone, even though it happens to me, you know, and maybe when I was younger, I wasn't thinking through everything that I say, you know, and, and, and so that's an interesting, it's a complicated and interesting thing to think about as you go along in your life and meet people. So it's so true. It's so, I mean, all of that is so true. I think I can think of a handful of examples of things that have really affected me that probably the people who said something to me probably didn't realize how much it shaped like it's 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 either making you aware of something that is quote unquote abnormal within yourself or it's reinforcing something that you're seeing through the rest of culture is quote unquote abnormal and so all of a sudden then you you begin to be self-conscious about something that maybe you didn't even weren't weren't even self-conscious about it before and these interactions have shaped now who you are and how you present. And uh, it's the shaping of your own body story in, in action. Like you talk about it, like it's a process. And I, I really felt that because I was like, that is so true, especially because our bodies change. Like uh, I know yeah. uh, in the, in the book um, you had a number of body stories that were talking around race and we're talking around body shape and size and talking about um um, Nana with the, with the hair pulling, um, some of those things can change throughout time. And what, what is, how does that change what's going on with us? You know what I mean? Well-meaning strangers and the staring and what I'd like to approach next, this everyday freak show idea, uh, these all impact how we feel about ourselves on an ongoing basis. (laughs) For sure. Right. And, and I think, yeah, that everyday, the everyday freak show was pretty interesting. Um, I like the way you frame that. Uh, yeah, and it was it was something I hadn't necessarily thought of until I started doing more research into freak show history, which is really interesting, super problematic, but very interesting, you know, in terms of representations of disability, different body sizes, different gender rep- expression, all those things, right? And yeah, and the changing of our bodies over time. Some things stay the same. Some things 
like my height, for example, isn't going to fundamentally change over the course of my life. But lots of our identities do change and the, and the ways that we present ourselves and how we choose to present parts of ourselves can change and where we are and how we are. Um, but those, those experiences still stay with you. Like they're not, they're not really going anywhere and they can impact so much. They can impact, you know, about your body size, what you put in your body, what you put on your body, how you shape and mold it in ways. Right. So, yeah. And I included Quinn's story about tattooing because those were intentional decisions, right? And so many questions. And Quinn is a person who's like full of energy and light. She's quite petite, but she's like a force of nature <laughs> with tons of very bright colored tattoos with the bright like pink and yellow hair or green hair or any color hair. Um, and so it's interesting. It was interesting to talk to her because she seems to get lots of questions about like, why would you do this? Not like, why are, why are, and why would you do this to yourself? Why would you do this to your femininity, right? As if taking away something from like normal life, like you could blend in, you could be normal. Why like, do you want to be normal? You, yeah, yeah. Um, and, but there's this expectation that you do, right? Right. That you don't want to deal with these. Like, why do you present yourself in a way that I'm asking you this question? Almost like, right. like why did you leave yourself open for me to ask you this? Um, and so it's, it was an interesting, it was an interesting talk with her too, because yeah, like that, that kind of, or even for Nana as well, right. Choosing to pull out your hair or choosing to not hide that you do, right. Which is something she did for a while by wearing wigs or hats and those kinds of things. And, and, you know, and also having her hair quite long with bald spots was a decision she made um, knowing that people wouldn't ask questions. And yeah, and so it was, it's those interesting, that to me is interesting about the choices that we can also make, right? I could, I could hide a little bit, I guess. I could be really muted. Um, I could wear things that, you know, don't make, call atten more attention to me. Um, but I choose not to now. Yeah. When I was younger, I probably, you know, I was a bit gothy when I was younger. I was angrier. <laughs> but I was still, <laughs> I was a little bit angrier. Um, but, you know, that also changes. I had black hair and, you know, was really pale and right. kind of amped right. it up. But yeah, so just thinking back on that course of that body story, you know, there's different pieces in there too. Uh, well, and you kind of get to this point where you start talking about resistance and it sounds to me like some of the things that you're describing that would fall under this idea of resistance that you talk about in the book. For sure. And I think everybody did that in some way, right? The resistance in terms of, I, I know, I know what you're thinking. I can imagine because people like you've told me what you're thinking. I'm going to do this thing anyway, or I'm going to, I feel comfortable to speak back in this moment. And Viola was probably one of the most interesting people talking about that. She was, I think the youngest in the book and thinking about um, when she felt safe, like those decisions, right? Of when her resistance to speak back on, on racist folks or, you know, sexist folks, like it was on her timeline. It wasn't on necessarily anyone else's and how great that is. Gio was also talking about that in terms of how, you know, when, 
she feels like she wants to embrace her sexuality. She has, she's a larger woman, you know, identifies, doesn't identify as fat, identifies as larger. So I'm using that word, but has very large breasts, talks about, you know, the way her sexuality is received because of those, you know, elements of her presentation. Um, and when she wants to resist it and other times when she actually wants to hide. And, and I think, that's always okay, right? Like people don't have to resist all the time, but that doesn't mean the resistance isn't there or isn't developing in you. Like it is, I like the word fierce resistance because it is fierce to feel it, whether you express it to other people or you express it to your best friend or partner later, or just to yourself. And, and that you're like, actually, you know, because it's, that is also a process, right? Like I am not going to necessarily be resistant in every moment to people saying things to me, but that doesn't mean I'm not like a fierce bitch all the time. <laughs> it just means in this moment, I'm going to be quiet because actually I just want to do my groceries or I just don't care enough right now. And that doesn't mean anything, right? Like resistance looks like lots of things. And so that was part of why I wanted to include it because, you know, it could be quiet. It can be loud. It can be whatever it is. And it's still resistance to these ideas. And like being in this book is an act of resistance and like talking about how this stuff is both interesting and not okay. And sometimes okay. And all of that and the complexity of it. Right. So I see that too. Yes. I, lo I loved that part. Um, there is a book in body liberation circles called fat activism by Charlotte Cooper. And she talks about uh, different ways that activism happens. And she talks about these quiet things that I think get mentioned in your book and that, that I love, I, I really connected with that because I think sometimes we think that if we have taken on an identity and we're like, okay, I know I'm this, I'm fat. Uh, therefore, anytime I get into a situation where somebody is talking about someone who is in a larger body or uh, talking about food and morality, talking about, you know, any of these topics, I have to stand up and declare, this is what I am. And you guys all suck for talking in this way and, you know, just get mad and angry. And that's not, that's not what it looks like all the time. And I love how you kind of went into that and mental health is important and being able to protect ourselves. And you talk about body management and, you know, being well, and Gioa, uh, her story about putting on something that kind of covers her boobs, even though she knows that they're there, she's aware as part of her identity that they are what people look at the most. Uh, she's covering them up and made that conscious decision. And that in a way is an act of resistance. It's saying, okay, I don't want to have the questions today. I don't want to have the stares today. I don't want to have those well-meaning strangers or be looked at as the freak show. I would yeah. just like to be. And the only way I can do that is by covering up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and that, you know, I think that that's a really important thing. Like, I just think that that's an important, and these are all like small reminders too, right? Where it's like, it's actually okay, right? Like I am often the feminist in the room, but I don't need to, it's exhausting. Like you don't actually have to be, I don't have to be the professor every day. I don't have to do that, right? Um, I can't, it doesn't mean I don't, it doesn't mean I'm not capable of doing it. It just means I'm not doing it right now. And that is okay. And like the permission to do that, I think is important, right? To give yourself that permission. Um, and then in other days to be like, oh no, here we go. Like, I'm ready. I'm ready. Yeah. 
Uh, like Viola's story about running into the change room and getting mad at the 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 hockey player that made a racist gesture and just going yeah. off on him and getting thrown out off. security was like badass. Yeah. And then in other moments, she was just like, oh no, I wouldn't say anything. And I, it was just so it was so interesting, right? I was like, oh yeah, of course. Yeah, of course. I loved it. Because it's not, it's not always, it's not always so clear about how and when and no. what it's gonna look like when we're ready and when we're able to do those things. Exactly. Yeah. Uh so obviously my podcast is around fat bodies, larger bodies. So how does this framework, how can we use that to look at uh, somebody who identifies as being in a larger body as being fat? Well, I think it's, you know, I think that there's those, so I teach this concept of intersectionality, right? Where we can't, we can't separate any of our identities from each other, right? So as if you identify as a woman, if you identify as fat and you live in a woman's body, you're a fat woman, right? And that's a different experience um, based on all our identities, right? As a white woman, as a black woman, as an indigenous woman, as a queer woman, as a queer fat woman, as a queer fat disabled woman, <laughs> right? Like there's all of these things that are constantly building together. So the framework is thinking about how all those identities are inextricable from each other, right? And that everyone has a relationship to fatness and thinness. And yet your relationship is yours based on all those inter intersecting elements, which are power dynamics, right? They're, they're also the ways in which we exist and pass through this world and, and fatness and thinness, you know, these are constructs that we have, but we also form relationships to them. Like you were talking about in terms of media representations, right? Thinking about certain bodies, like certain bodies can have fat on them in certain spots and that's okay. And then in other bodies, like the, if they're fat in this spot, that's fine today. But in like 20 years, fat in a different spot, that'll be okay, right? And like those constructions of thinking about like, particularly for women's bodies, right? About how they're sexualized, um, what they're supposed to look like, where they're supposed to be thin, where it's okay if they're not as thin. And if you're too thin, that's not, that's not ideal either, right? And so there's these interesting ways to think about body size and that they're always relationships to power about social power and who has it and who doesn't. And so I think every story and every woman I talk to thinks about their body size, whether it's fat, fatter, feeling fat, feeling this spot is fat or feeling like this spot's thin or too thin or not as fat as they'd like, right? Like it's an interesting relationship. And so I think that there's always a way in to think about that. But I think you can't ever disconnect fatness from all of our other identities. And I think that that's really important to think about, right? That in terms of even just like thinking about my size, when we think about body size, height is often a privilege. It's often a privilege for men. And so in for gender dynamic, right, body size is really always tied to gender. It's never disconnected. And, and while my sister's height, if we go back to thinking, did we talk about that on? Yeah, on we were recording. recording? Yes, we were. Okay, great. My, <laughs> like, I don't remember. Um, my sister's height, you know, is a bit more normalized for women. Mine, all of a sudden, this constructed difference, right? It makes it seem like it's abnormal for women. And so I think that that's really connected to fatness too, is thinking about all of a sudden there's this constructed difference of, oh, you're too fat, 
like, or you're too fat in the wrong spot or you're too fat right now or in this room or in this outfit or whatever. And so I think just thinking about how constructed those relationships, not that they don't have real effects on us, of course they do, but recognizing that, that social element of it, I think is really key. And, and part of, I think, a journey to recognizing that process, right? That, that, that is something, even though you feel it, it's like, oh, I'm being made to feel this way. It's actually not, it's not natural that I'm feeling this way. It is taught to me. And that's the part that's really hard. But for me as an educator, I see it like through education is the part that we can think through those things and kind of break them down for ourselves, if that makes sense. Yes, it, yes, exactly. I mean, that was one of the things I had to come to terms with when I got into this work was this idea that I'm feeling bad about myself because the world around us has, has constructed an environment where what I have, what I am is considered bad or wrong. And that doesn't mean it's actually bad or wrong. It doesn't actually mean that I'm any less worthy, but like you talk about in so many different parts of this book, those power dynamics make such a big difference to our own body stories and what we're taking out of each situation that's happening to us. And uh, that's why I think your book was so like, there were so many parts where I was like, yes, yes, yes. In terms of thinking about, like you said, intersectionality, fatness and gender, fatness and color, fatness and uh, ableism, uh, being able to, you know, kind of recognize where all these things come together and what it means when they do come together. Uh, And there's lots of, you know, there's, I've had a lot of great books on this podcast that talk about each of those intersectionalities uh, separately and together. So I I think it's a fabulous framework for talking about fat bodies. And I loved it. (laughs) Amazing. Well, that's great. I am so appreciative. It's so nice to also talk about the book because it hasn't been out very long. So it's a cool thing. So thank you for that. Uh, Is there anything else that you want people to know about the book? Um, I think that people are often intimidated because it is an academic book, right? It's framed as an academic book. But I, what I, the most thing I would like people to know is that I didn't write it like that. <laughs> I wrote it with a really broad audience in mind. And that that is my goal as an educator is to not make language or ideas inaccessible to a very wide audience. And so even though it can be used in university classes, I think it can be used in conversation. My dad's been reading it. And so like, and not just because he loves me, I think. Um, And so, you know, I think that it's, and so many people have actually connected and, and reached out to me to be like, oh, I thought this would be really hard. And it wasn't, it was really interesting. And I read it really quickly and I just gobbled it up. And so for me, that's been amazing. So if there's anything, I just don't want people to be intimidated because it's an academic book. Like, don't worry about it. I did like, and like, I'm, that's why I wrote it. It's for everybody, not just for certain people. And, and I totally agree. I've read, uh, I mean, we don't have a ton of academic books on this podcast. It does tend to be more main, quote unquote mainstream because right. the topic we're dealing with is not all that mainstream. So yeah take that for what it's worth, but we don't tend to have a lot of academic books on here, but from the academic books I have read, this one is definitely one of the most readable that I have connected with. And I mean, just that aspect that to go back to the beginning, the story, the theory, the art, connecting those three things together actually makes this a very 
um, engaging and something that you can use as you go through your day. Now there's certain things that I'm like, Oh, Hey, yeah, we were talking about that in that book. Like, <laughs> I love that. I love that. Awesome. So great. Well, can you tell people where they can find it and where they can find you? Sure. So, um, so right now, so it's on Amazon, but I don't love promoting Amazon too much if we can, um, support local ish. So in Canada, you can get it at women's press um for free shipping and everything like that and that's pretty nice um and it's a bit cheaper than amazon actually so that's good it's also an ebook if that's what you're into so um you could get it there um and but a whole bunch of books stores actually online have it you can find me i'm on twitter just my name victoria cannon with a k and <laughs> with a k and i'm on I'm on Instagram. You can find me there too, actually. Find me on Twitter. I'd love to people to find me on Twitter. That's where I'm mostly. Well, I'll make sure that all the links to all of that is below. And thank you so much, Victoria, for being on Fat Girl Book Club. So now the question is, what is your body story? <laughs> I know for me, I, I definitely took away a lot of things to think about when it comes to my own body and how I feel about my body and the way my body looks and how my body is interpreted. And I, you know, there's been a lot of, for me, I have been going kind of deep into these types of questions since I interviewed Dr. Fuller and my friend Pascal Jenkins on the podcast about Dr. Fuller's book, The Fat Lady Sings, because I think there's so much discussion to be had about the quote-unquote meaning of fatness. So what does my body mean? What does my body say about me? Not just as I walk around in the world and other people are looking at me, but also when I enter into spaces like a therapy space or a health space or an airplane space. And does the backstory of this meaning that I hold on to, that is part of my own body story, what type of meaning does that have? What type of interplay does that have within uh, the construction of not just the biological fatness within my body, but also the cultural and societal construction of my fatness uh, within these spaces? So uh, this question constantly comes up for me. And yes, I can list off a whole whack load of labels, but I'm not so sure that that I don't even think that that's what Victoria is talking about when she talks about body stories. I think it's so much deeper than that. And I think it really definitely brings us into who we are as people and how we perceive our own, our own body construction. Anyway, that got deep real, real fast. Sorry about that. <laughs> I just wanted to get you started on thinking about this question. What is your body story? So if somebody was to ask you, uh, some of the questions that Victoria probably asked some of the people that she interviewed, you know, questions around, uh, you know, how would you label yourself? Uh, and this would be things like your age and, you know, who you are, your sister, your brother, what you do for work, uh, you know, and then, and then how your body interacts with the world. And this, you know, this is things that include things like, uh, your abilities within, uh, to move within a cultural landscape, um, your, you know, you, whether or not you are being stared at as you walk in, how visible are you? How invisible are you? Uh, what kinds of things, things like body modifications have you done in order to try to pass, within certain circles. 
Um, and this can include things, especially within our own, you know, fat liberation circles, things like dieting, you know, are you, are you in a larger body and are, or have dieted just because your coworkers are doing it and you're trying to fit in to some degree? Uh, you know, what kinds of things are we doing in order to try to conform or not conform, you know? Anyway, it's an interesting question to ponder and we're going to be pondering this again because my next episode, uh, we're going to dive even deeper into this book and look at some of the takeaways that a reader's experience would entail with this framework, using this framework that Victoria and I have talked about. I hope you enjoyed that discussion and I hope that you have some things to think about and I hope that you will continue to think about them uh, for our next chat. There'll be a bunch of links in the show notes. Please reach out to me if you're interested in reading a book and talking about it here on the show. And uh, keep reading, everyone. <laughs>